0: Welcome to the AF Mentors Podcast. This is for coaches who care about impact and are ready to be pushed outside their comfort zone and into growth. You can find out more about AF Mentors at afmentors.com. Hello and welcome to the AF Mentors podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, Tom Wright. How are you?
1: I'm great, thanks Emma. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. I don't know what introduction you want. So I'm actually going to let you introduce yourself because you've Hmm. done so many things and I don't know what is most applicable to this. So how would you introduce yourself now in 2023?
1: I had to think about this yesterday because I knew I'd have to introduce myself and i would i would call myself a product marketer i work in uh, i work as a product manager which very simply means that i help create products for brands to sell to customers so that includes understanding of making products and understanding of marketing so it kind of combines the two worlds so i'm product marketer uh, and I work within sports and fitness.
0: Awesome. And and you've done, I guess, what makes you even more applicable. Although I'm sure a lot of the things with products and marketing like is universal. But you've also been a personal trainer for many years. You also worked in sales for many years. You also worked at Gymshark. So like you've kind of got this industry knowledge as well as your product marketing knowledge.
1: Yeah, I think that's what makes my... Uh, background applicable to what you do and your you know your mentor mentees Um,
0: always sounds weird saying that I normally just call them coaches but then then it's hard to distinguish between the coaches that work for me and the coaches on Mm -hmm. AFM but it sounds a bit wanky saying my mentees
1: (laughs) (laughs) well okay so I'll say it just the group
0: the AFM group the
1: AFM group yeah so I was a personal trainer for eight years I've been training my whole life and I didn't want to be a PT any longer I think when I started I actually kind of knew that that wasn't going to be my my forever role I enjoyed it but I realized that I had other skills and passions I wanted to explore and improve on and that kind of led me to marketing um, I actually studied product design at university so it was kind of like an a roundabout way came back to product and and have combined the things that ultimately I really love doing and I still get to do that within the fitness industry and the sports industry which is awesome so it's it it was one of those um you know different paths and kind of finding my way but i remember somebody said to me it's like one day all these random things that you think are you know totally separate will all come together and make total sense and and that's true and and part of it is me pulling them together in the ways that i want to but it definitely you know when you find things that you like doing explore it and then it might actually lead to something in the future and that's you know I've I've got a kind of an aroundabout way of getting here but now I'm finally doing the things that I really enjoy doing and and you know very happy to to talk about them.
0: Yeah I think that's such an important journey like and I went through similar and I feel like we kind of went through this like together as mates like trying yeah, a lot definitely. of things I think we could both tell when we were full-time personal trainers that it wasn't what we wanted to do long term but then that there wasn't at least for me there didn't seem like a direct path into what I wanted to do so now if you kind of take a step back and look at businesses like I've kind of curated businesses that fit certain aspects of what I enjoy doing like the geeky side eIQ coaching which I absolutely love like ESG fitness the group coaching side working with some of my best mates and then like the mentoring side because I freaking love growing things so yeah I think it it can seem along the way like there's a lot of failures and I know we've both been through of like oh that job didn't work out or like that master's didn't work out or like we started this job and then changed it and it's it's nice to see that like we've kind of both got to a place now what 10 years later or something that hey actually we're both quite happy and have kind of curated a life and a job and a career path that fills like fills us with happiness I guess and purpose, I guess, is the point.
1: Yeah. Do you do you feel like you're fulfilling your purpose now?
0: Yeah. And I was thinking about this the other day. Like I genuinely get up every morning excited to open my laptop.
1: That's amazing. Is,
0: yeah, which is awesome. I think like that and that's really the key to success, right? Is well, one, I feel like that is success in itself. Like if you get up every day and you love what you do, that is success. But also it kind of, it's like a chicken or egg scenario. Cause actually, if you love what you do, you're much more likely to be successful. Like if you're doing it for the right reasons, you're going to outwork everybody else that's just doing it to pay the bills or to make more money. And actually, if you would do it despite that, like I've been doing the same stuff for years and years before I even made much money from it because I loved doing it. And actually that's probably the key to why I've been quote unquote successful.
1: Yeah, and uh, th- that reminds me of a uh... I kind of half quote, I don't know where I heard it. So I'm going to claim it for my own. Um, that success isn't a destination. It's it's a system and a way of living that will help you continue to grow and therefore be successful. You know, it's, it kind of, it is itself, success is itself. If you can mm-hmm. find a way of feeling successful and enjoying what you're doing, then you've kind of already won and that will lead you to future wins.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then people are like, what is success? And it's like, yeah, well, that's what I would define it as. It's like getting to do what you want every day. But some people would be like, oh, to me, it's 10K a month. To me, it's having this many clients. To me, it's, you know, whatever, some material thing. And then you realize once you achieve that, you're like, nope, still not. That's still not it. And actually, just it. appreciate, like, what you have in the now, very different. Have you read The Happiness Advantage? No. It's really good. I would recommend that. It's kind of almost along the same sort of theme of like actually most people think that it's success that drives happiness but the argument in this book is actually that it's happiness that drives success and that happier people are more likely to like work harder go for more opportunities talk to more people like and that in itself opens more doors and means that you're more likely to be successful so it's actually the happiness that drives the success not the success that drives the happiness but then it obviously kind of spirals right
1: yeah, no, sounds great. I'll check that out.
0: Okay, so what I really wanted to talk to you about is one of my favourite topics, and I know it's one of yours as well, which are I would generally term them cognitive biases. Would you? Do you have a different name for that kind of train of thought? Or
1: no, um, I think it's it all falls under the kind of behavioural science uh, and psychology umbrella, but cognitive biases is really what we can kind of those are the the elements of it that we can talk about and and things you can actually use.
0: Yeah and or some people call them heuristics right
1: yeah but i don't really understand that word so
0: <laughs> yeah me neither i guess it's just like a mental shortcut that people take yeah um but i thought it'd be interesting to know these i think i think they're interesting in in two kind of distinct ways one so you, that you don't catch yourself out kind of living a life that actually isn't important to you. So things like sunk cost bias, right? And mm-hmm. then the other is like things that you can actually use in your marketing that may actually mean that you sell more or mean that someone's more likely to buy, or even just really simple things like the way that you frame something can change the way it feels for someone. So, like instead of saying 20% of my clients don't get results, I might say 80% of my clients get incredible results, right? It's the same thing, but it sounds very different um and you've done some awesome posts on these so do you want to pull out a few of your faves
1: yeah absolutely so well we'll start with with the one you you kind of highlighted there which is um social proof and positive and negative social proof um and the uses of them so social proof is the way that somebody is um unconsciously affected by other people's behavior or um You know, maybe marketing. So if I said, or whiskers said eight out of 10 cats prefer whiskers, you're more likely to buy whiskers because it sounds like other people are buying it for their cats who like it. So if everyone else is doing it, I'll do it. So it's, this is nothing groundbreaking, but just understanding it and having a clear understanding it and and how you can apply it to your own business marketing is very helpful. So yes, in your example, 80% of my clients are getting results. Well, that shows me that you have clients and they are being successful and therefore I might want to come and join you because you have demonstrated an ability to achieve something and other people are getting that, but I'm not. So that's Mm -hmm. positive social proof and it might pull me into your business. Um, But you can also have negative social proof where, let's say the uh and this is uh, a very um badly remembered real example um nhs are short of blood and they need people to donate blood so they say we are desperate for blood Um, our stocks are low only four percent of people are donating blood please give blood so they've said we're really desperate we need it and no one's really donating please donate blood didn't work because it's very easy for everybody to go well no one else is doing it i'm not going to bother yeah,
0: i was about to say did that work because no <laughs> yeah right okay
1: so the flip side of that would be okay well let's say it was four percent of people living in london so you could say that's maybe like four hundred thousand people you could have said um last year 400 people in london gave blood um this helped save many lives um, will you do the same? Immediately flips that it's a positive spin. Now I'm thinking, well, everyone else is donating blood. I should probably go and donate blood and I'm going to help save a life. It it gave like a initially this negative, I can ignore that, no one else is doing it, you know, social proof message. And then this new positive spin makes people more likely to engage and do the, the behavior that the NHS want you to do. So it's it's all about figuring out how people make decisions and then helping to hel- helping them to make the decision and ethically influence them to make the decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get there's that book called Nudge, right? Which has so many examples of this. And I think there's like whole government teams that are like nudge teams now. And some of them, and I can't remember this off the top of my head, but it, there was one particular example, which I was like quite shocked about that was... I think it was something similar to like, I don't know, 90% of people file their taxes on time. Make sure you file your taxes on time. And that increased the amount of people that file their taxes on time so much more than offering people a fine or offering people, like threatening people with a fine of like, you know, if you don't pay your taxes, you'll be charged this. Actually, if you just said, hey, most people do, do you want to be the one person that doesn't? They're like, oh shit, no. So it's, it's interesting how much just a bit of kind of social proof can do and same with what always the example that's always given that blows my mind as well is the opt-in versus opt-out of um, organ donation and that like some countries they're just like why is this one you know so unbelievably low you know like two european countries that you'd think would have kind of like why would it be so so different and it was because one country had you had to opt in to give your organs if something awful happened and one was you had to opt out of doing so and if you had to opt out then you were yeah far far less likely to actually bother doing that because you're being nudged in a certain direction and it's a good example of just like how much we just follow the path and I think that that can go wrong in certain things so for example like I didn't ever remember choosing to go to university I don't regret this decision by the way but I don't actually remember making that choice. It was more like, well, you finished school, so now you'll be going to university, right? You're just kind of like nudged in that direction. That's what everybody else does. That's what like 90% of the people in my class were doing. So that's what I did as well.
1: And schools and- use that as social proof as to why you should come and join our school because 90% of our students go on to higher education. Mm-hmm. So it, it's in their benefit because they can use those stats as social proof to to get new entrants. Um, yeah, it's all... I mean, let's not get into the education system. That's a different thing altogether. Uh, and you've got two um, ADHDers <laughs> yeah. who maybe weren't, you know, the best.
0: Wasn't the best uh, way of learning for me. But anyway, no. despite that, like, I think I think in certain situations it's good. You know, like, I would quite like to be nudged into, I don't know, opting into my pension or something if it's going to be beneficial to me. But so this I is where, think... like,
1: ethical influencing comes in, like, with all of this it can sometimes feel a bit like oh i don't want to trick people but if it's a decision a decision that's going to help a person or be mutual mutually beneficial for both the coach and the client mm-hmm. the client's looking for a a train a coach they're looking for weight loss or you know fitness or whatever it is you not marketing yourself in the right way to help them find you and make the decision that you are the coach for them if you are the right coach for them you're doing both of yourselves a disservice so it's ethical is the the key word in there as long as you aren't tricking people or you know doing things you shouldn't be doing then this is all just basic psychology that's used you know for hundreds and hundreds of years thousands of years probably it's just it's just ways of persuading people Um, to help influence their behavior in a positive way.
0: Yeah, yeah, when used right, for sure. And I think if you're thinking of ways that you could apply this to your business, one thing that I've never done, which is just so stupid, is when people finish Commit to Six, there's so much friction to sign up to stay on, right? Where it should be, if you don't want to stay, you can opt out, right? So I'm not forcing anyone to stay, but actually the obvious thing is that you'd be staying on. Right. And that's the kind of the whole ethos of my coaching. It's not six weeks. It's change for the rest of your life. I fully expect people, the the people who get the best results stay longer. So why would I essentially kick people out and then ask them if they want to rejoin after six weeks? It should be you're staying on unless you decide you want to leave. And that's just a really simple example of using like opt in options and reducing friction for people, because that's the other big thing is like, okay, how can we actually make this as simple and seamless as possible for the client, even if it means behind the scenes, you're going mad, like trying to figure stuff out. Actually, it should look like for the client, nothing has changed. They're just staying on with their program because that's what they opted into at the start. And if if they ever changed their mind, obviously that's absolutely fine. But little things like that could be a point of friction and could have a huge impact on your business.
1: Oh, the, the pain of payment cuts out so many sales because you have to go and plug in the car details and then actually you know what it's 9 p.m at night I'm quite tired I can't be bothered to fill out my car details and I'll do it later and then later becomes never and you've lost the sale because somebody's had to go and input the details but they maybe are already signed up to your business and didn't need to redo that so yeah there's that's just yeah a clear friction point that that could be fixed and probably yeah if if you know that the service is that good and people will want to stay on and you've got proof of that because everyone has in the past then yeah it should it sounds like it would be better to be an Mm opt-out and you're not tying anybody in they're all you know thanks very much i hope you enjoyed it would you like to stay on then do nothing
0: yeah yeah exactly rather than okay well here's quite a convoluted way of you having to re-sign up and then fill this Mm. in again and then uh, like I've already done that like you shouldn't you shouldn't ever need to do it again
1: but this is good because there's always ways to improve our business and these are the sort of conversations that highlight little things where oh Mm. yeah actually maybe I could do this or this could be done in a different way
0: agreed right do you have another one I have a couple here as well
1: yeah um distinctiveness and and contrast. I'm using this for your group because there are a lot of people who are doing very similar things. They're all offering similar services and the type of customer going after is probably similar. And there are so many clients out there that this is probably never, ever going to be a problem. Um, But one of the things I want to highlight is how important distinctiveness is in gaining attention and that's because our brain basically scans the world for change and difference so if somebody's scrolling a news feed and it's oh there's somebody doing a deadlift oh there's another person doing sprints on the treadmill here's somebody talking about nutrition you can see hundreds of those videos in a couple of minutes and it's so easy to just carry on scrolling but as soon as you see something that's like what's going to make a thumb stop something that stands out it's different it contrasts, and when you're trying to sell a service that lots of other people are selling similar services, there needs to be a point of differentiation. First of all, just to gain attention. If this person doesn't know you already, there might be another trainer who they do know, but to effectively, if you want the sale, you've got to stand out somehow. And the way to get attention is to be different. And that can be done in a whole different bunch of ways. But I think we're just so used to doing what everyone else is doing especially in fitness is oh I don't want to do anything different this is this person's doing and it works so I'll do that too but then you've just got everyone doing all the same things and then nobody watches so that's one of the the key things that I don't see much of in the fitness industry and if I was still doing it that's probably where I would be focusing myself and how do I gain attention by just doing things in a different way whether that's just giving a bit more of my personality and the things that I do outside of training. So that could be, like, I love sci-fi movies and TV series. Like, total geek for it. Aliens, post-apocalypse stuff. Like, not that many people know that about me, but I absolutely love it. That's the sort of thing that I would be talking about, as well as the fitness stuff. But I would try and bring that in somehow. I'm not saying do, like, weird, crazy stuff. I'm not going to dress up like an alien or anything. But something to make me and this is part of you know you talk about niches and differentiating yourself that way just something that makes you stand out something that's going to stop a thumb Mm mid-scroll because our brain's looking for change
0: yeah and i guess that comes in with like likability as well like actually people like people that have the same likes as them so you might not really notice it, but actually just because like, Tom likes the same stuff as you, you're like, oh, I, I automatically feel a little bit like I resonate with this person a little bit more. Even if you were giving out the same nutrition advice as me, but actually they have more in common with you. You're the obvious go-to, right? And I think that is so important, like finding a way to differentiate yourself. And, I, and one of the reasons that I think this is so hard is that most fitness people just follow fitness people. So they have absolutely no imagination because it's all kind of like-
1: Creative echo chamber.
0: Exactly. You're like, oh, I see what everyone else is doing. I'll just recreate something that's quite similar. Or like, even if you have an idea, it's kind of like dampened by the time you've scrolled along your newsfeed and you just see what everyone else is doing.
1: Do you remember and Joe actually... Wicks's? sorry. Go ahead. Joe Wick's early videos where he was like, bosh, and throwing yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, across yeah. his kitchen. He'd like throw broccoli from into the microwave from the other side of the room everybody stopped to watch it people would talk i get people sending it to me to be like have you seen this guy and i was like no what the hell is this and it was uh, different and you and james smith same thing came in all of a sudden by everybody knew who he was because he was shouting and swearing and just contrast mm-hmm. i'm not saying like there's a right way to do things or a wrong way or however it's whatever suits you but something that stands out and i think we're all just too eager to blend in and do the safe thing but the things that worked best for me were always when I'd like when I was launching an online program and I'd take like a stranger things you know um logo and I change it to stronger things and then suddenly everyone was like what's this new program stranger thing like it was just different
0: yeah but it was me just also
1: showing that I like weird you know sci-fi things
0: well I think that's a good point because even things that actually aren't that different like i'm willing to bet if we stripped our programs apart like actually we've got quite different styles of training and stuff but like relatively similar right we both had a fat loss client like relatively similar stuff Mm -hmm. but this is where things like branding come in quite a lot or like naming your program and i'm not saying spend ages naming your program but like Have it as like ours is the EC method. Oh my god, it's a different method of doing. It's our method that we've come up with after ten years of coaching each. Like how you know that kind of hype behind it, and it is our method that we've come up with after ten years of coaching. Right? So there's no, it's not like we're lying about it. It just creates a little bit more hype. Now, if you strip that back, I'm willing to bet it's relatively similar to what other people would give. Right? There's a calorie target in there. There's steps. There's workouts. There's you know, some other nutrition targets, there's different ways of supporting our clients. That side of it isn't that different, but it's actually how you package it up and then it's your delivery of it as well.
1: Yeah, you your stuff has always stood out. Uh, I think you, whether you realized you were doing it or not, you know, from kind of early on in your fitness career, you were always throwing out little things that just separated you from everyone else. Like I can name... A handful of them off the top of my head, but i will I'll, I'll first, I'll just give one like sprout diet
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just
1: you saying I love sprouts to the point of wearing a t-shirt that had like sprout life or something on it.
0: Yeah, one of my clients sent me that. I'm glad that I outgrew that phase of my life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's like silly little things that that was nothing to do with like you should eat sprouts yeah. because it's gonna make you ripped. It was just you saying I like sprouts and making it funny. And it stood out, and it was, you know, very simple. And it's probably just you being playful, Mm. but as a point of distinctiveness, through your tries.
0: That was my next campaign.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Through your tries. And there's actually another uh, bias that I really like called the pratfall effect, which Uh is flaws making you more likable. And not necessarily flaws, but I think it's just. You could take that as just being real, like being real and not the like, oh, look at me standing up and look at me sitting down. Look, look at how fat I am when I roll forward. Not that sort of Instagram reality, but genuinely being yourself and showing your flaws. Like I say flaws, but I just mean your personality, your, you know, being a little bit open and vulnerable has a massive effect on how people see you because it's again that no like and trust thing they they start to build a relationship with you because they feel like they're actually seeing the real you and that's another case for showing your personality online and not just sticking to the fat loss muscle gain uh, nutrition you know pillars that everybody you know generally follows
0: Mm. do you think that sometimes people go too far with vulnerability or it just feels like a little bit fake as well sometimes, or maybe not even fake, but just, I think there also needs to be a line of like, at the end of the day, you do want to come across as a coach. So one thing I always get people to think about with their social media is like, if, I, if you ended up on your social media, why would you want to choose you? And I think some, it, like, it's quite a hard line. because it's like some vulnerability, I totally agree, makes you more likable, makes someone feel connected with you, makes someone feel like they actually know you versus just a facade that you're putting on social media. But too much, I think, can make you feel like, well, I don't want to give this person like offload my problems because they obviously have quite a lot of shit going on themselves. Or more just like in a coach, I want someone who's kind of like strong, secure, knows what they stand for, is going to be like reliable, I guess. And I think sometimes if you show too much vulnerability, it doesn't like it doesn't resonate like that.
1: Completely agree. I think vulnerability is probably not the right choice of word there. Um, for that reason, I think it it's become a a commodity. It's a, a a false way of connecting with people, is oversharing things and maybe playing up to them a little bit in places. I think we've all seen examples of that. It's more, let's say you went on a live and at the start of the live you knock your cup of tea over. Mm.
0: Common the account. pratfall
1: effect suggests that people will like you more because you made that little mistake than if, uh, you know, and you were doing that like as a one off, you're
0: not <laughs> coming on time. every week and <laughs> just
1: knocking glasses over. But there's a, yeah, studies showing that people will actually like you more because they've seen you make a little mistake and you appear more real. It mm-hmm. can happen in things like job interviews where, you know, somebody might come in and they've got a little stain on their shirt because they're on the, on the tube and somebody bump into them and, you know, it, it can make the, the the person seem more um, appealing. And yeah. I think it is yeah. just, a, okay, I this person in, doesn't have that full, like, professional, um, like, shield up.
0: I guess in those examples, like, a good one is everyone will forget their words a little bit on a live or be halfway through something and then be like, God, I didn't even know what I was talking about. Uh, Oh, well, and then just continue, right? And I think that as well makes you, all oh, right. right, okay, this person's real, like they're actually here trying to help me. It's not just like a almost like rob- robotic response to things. I think that level of whether it vulnerability is the right word or not, but I completely agree with that, that like kind of little blunders and slip ups. And I guess that's reassuring for people because often the barrier to going on live or doing a reel or starting a podcast it's like well what what if i mix up my word or i say um or ah too many times and it's like well you know what we all start somewhere and you probably will and if anything it might make someone like you a little bit more
1: yeah just try just not trying to be perfect and thinking it has to be perfect before you There's you're you're in action again
0: yeah okay
1: you're you're up next what's the next one
0: okay um what do i have here choice overload something i'm very bad at because i love Building new things, um, but I think this is the heuristic or cognitive bias that when there is more options, people buy less. And I think this is something I definitely, I don't know if I ever really totally fell for, but I used to think like, oh well, maybe I could do a program for nurses, and then also a program for perimenopausal women, and then also a program for people who are already pretty fit but just want to get absolutely shredded. And it's like, when there's too many options. And I think you're already on your back foot with online coaching because people already don't really know what it is. So there's that barrier of I'm signing up for something. I'm not 100% sure what it is. If if, if people aren't sure, they don't buy, right? Then if people aren't sure and there's five different options, they definitely don't buy because they're like, oh, would I put myself as like pretty active, looking to get shredded? Or actually, I also fit into the perimenopausal woman category. So which program's right for me? And then they'll end up being like, oh, well, too many options. I'm not going to do anything. That can be a problem with people, businesses. If there's, you know, sometimes it can just be even between group and one-to-one, like, oh, which one's right for me? So a way around that is having clear, distinct things on your website between the two, but then also just not having too many options. Not like, oh, here's my lowest tier program and then my mid-tier program and then my highest tier program. Like there's too many options for people.
1: Yeah, paradox of choice uh is so uh, just so common and I see it in like businesses, shops, everywhere. It's if we just offer more, people will be happier when actually you're taking away their ability to make a decision. So yeah, choice overload. I mean, I can't really sum it up any clearer than than what you have, but mm-hmm. yeah, we used to do that um in our presentations at Gymshark is when we were talking about how we make product and new people starting, we'd say, you know, we want to offer a wide range of product, but it all has like, this This range falls into this category and this category can only have this amount of product in it because if we put more in it, you're going to take away people's ability to choose and they're going to end up leaving and going somewhere else where it's clearer on what they should buy. So that's that's how we used it in it we knew that if we give too much, and there's tons of stuff on the website, but it should be that if you click into bodybuilding, or if you click into women's leggings, there should be enough choice, but not too much so as to stop you being able to to know what you want. Um, And that's why, you know, our brain is doing that all day long, is making decisions, is scanning through different information. And that's partly why willpower is higher in the morning than in the evening, because you've got the energy, the mental energy to make a choice in the morning. Whereas by the evening, you'll just fall back on learned behaviors because you haven't got the the brain capacity left. So yeah, that's that's an important one.
0: Yeah. One of the best tips for that in regards to just like managing your life a little bit, even if it's like if you're dieting yourself or for me, I really focus my diet more around how can I be more productive now as opposed to like how can I stay in the best shape and so thinking about choice overload is important like actually if I have the same breakfast and lunch every day I never have to think about it so I've got more brain power to think about more important things same with when you hear like Steve Jobs talking about wore wore the same top and jeans like every single day right so you don't have to think about the clothes that you're wearing not saying I'm the same but like again I just kind of wear the same thing every day it's usually black it's usually a hoodie one of like five different hoodies like done right and then on the odd occasion where you do go out or do something different like hey yeah you can think about wearing something different same with food like yeah but then in the evening maybe you do think oh actually I'll see what I want this evening but you're not constantly making those decisions all day and if you do think, hey, I've got a limited amount of good decisions I can make in the day, or a limited amount of like good brain power, do I want to spend that on choosing my breakfast or building my business? Like, and I know what the answer is for me. So that's a good way to kind of use that in real life for your advantage. And I think there's there's been quite a lot of studies on this, but I think the most famous one is the when there's four jams versus twenty four jams, and people mm. buy less jam when there's more choice and I think like as Tom was speaking I was just thinking of loads of examples where I'm like yeah I'll go on a website and I'll be like I know I definitely want like I just recently bought some hand luggage that's like the perfect size to fit in hand luggage and I was like I know exactly what I want like hand luggage that is the perfect size and then I go on and there's so many options and even the fact that there's so many price ranges as well and like I'm actually quite happy to pay more for something good, but I don't know if I'm getting ripped off because is this one just the same, but it's cheap. And then it's like there's so many options. Whereas if there had just been two, I would have been like, yeah, I like the black one, go. So much better. Well, that's a
1: good that's a good segue into um price points and anchoring.
0: Mm. Which so, is what I had next.
1: Yeah. So you looking for your luggage? You're like, okay, you've got no frame of reference. Generally, uh, and I'm I'm guessing that from what you said, it's probably true. I don't either. How much hand luggage should cost? Mm -hmm. What's what's your what's so? You're basically your brain will have for certain things an anchor point, an anchor price point for what it believes is, you know, the right cost for a certain product. So let's say it's petrol. Maybe your brain goes, well, actually, you know, normally one pound fifty-five is per liter is the right. Cost for fuel. So when it's up at 190, as it has been recently, your brain's going, that's really expensive. That's way more than what I normally pay because your anchor point was down there. But if it drops to 130, then your anchor point of 155 is, oh, well, actually now I'm getting good value. But we do the same for everything. So there will be, if I said, right, Emma, um, you're you're here to buy a new car. Um we've got these two cars, first one's a Ford, it's 8,000 pounds. The second one's a BMW, it's 20,000 pounds. Well, the BMW seems quite expensive now. But if I go, and maybe you have 20,000 pounds to spend and you wanted a BMW. But then if I go, well, okay, you're here to buy a car. We've got this fantastic Bentley. It's 100,000 pounds. You know, you'd love it. I can see from your face, I don't really have that, I don't want that. And then I go, actually, we've got this BMW £20,000. I've set a new anchor point for you much higher and now the lower price seems much better value. And that's why when you see sale prices, it's like, was this, now this, because they're anchoring you to, it was more expensive and now it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. So you'll have your own mental anchor points already, but... When you're pricing things on your website or talking about the price of your service, you can set an anchor point and you say, it's not as expensive as a 10,000 pounds, you know, mentor course. I don't charge 10 grand like these other ones do. I charge a reasonable price, which is true. You do. Mm. Um, Or you could go, you know, I know you've maybe spent, you know, this little amount on somebody before and it wasn't, you know, but this is it, it's more expensive. And then suddenly the person you're then justifying why it's more expensive rather than why it's great value. Mm. So how you set your your price anchors in just in the way that you speak and, and how you present your product can completely change the way a person views the value of your product. And actually one of the best ways to sell a product is to, uh, the value of a product is to break it down into what it costs per day and then compare it to something like a cup of coffee. Yeah. It's the most it the most effective way of doing it is breaking it down to a daily price point rather than weekly or monthly or however. It just it makes it much more digestible.
0: Yeah, I think actually this is one thing I love about high ticket coaching is it anchors online coaching at a higher point or whether it like fully anchors it or not that like if they've had a consult with don't know someone trying to sell them 3 grand for 3 months of fat loss coaching and then they see mine then it's like oh right this seems way more within my budget hey way way better for me or like actually affordable for me so that I guess can work to your advantage I, I think one of the best examples of anchoring is home reports because you always then you have that anchor of a house of like okay well this is how much the home report said so anything above it you're like oh I'm paying more than what it's worth Really, the worth of anything is what people are, are gonna buy are gonna pay for yeah. it, right? So very true. anything is kind of arbitrary, and anything less than that, you're like, oh, I got it for for less than it was worth, mm-hmm. right? when you know it's just like I said, like when you really take a step back, and I actually had this discussion with someone yesterday about pricing and about like finding it hard to sell, and it's quite a like a brutal response. But if someone says that your service is too expensive, either one they genuinely can't afford it which means you don't want to work with them anyway like I didn't we don't have coaches on AFM that want people to put stuff on credit cards take out loans and stuff not our vibe no
1: and then the person will resent the service as well because they're stretching themselves to
0: and also literally I know all the coaches so well that they would they wouldn't be able to sleep with the guilt of putting that Mm -hmm. kind of financial stress on someone so no not for us and then or secondly you have not given enough value or allowed them to perceive enough value that you are worth that cost, right? Which is usually what the problem is. But that's great because that's a problem you can solve because you can be like, right, how do I show that I am worth this amount of money? Once you show that, people will pay that amount of money for you.
1: Yeah, there's a disconnect in in your messaging between their problem and your solution and how you're conveying that the price point of that solution is valuable to them. So yeah, yeah, that's where it comes down to your clear messaging and, and showing what you can do for that person.
0: Agreed. Um, and then the other just really obvious example of price anchoring is like having your two products. So you've got a group coaching program and a one-to-one coaching program. I'm normally, and I, I think actually almost everyone on AFM is normally trying to push people towards group more because it's scalable. Mm-hmm. Like sure, you'll still get some people that are just either want one-to-one or a better suited to one-to-one and that's fine but usually you'll fill that up pretty quickly and actually you kind of want people to sway towards the group now if you've got hey it's 300 pound a month for one-to-one it's 150 for group group looks like a really good deal
1: and i would use social proof there to be to be pushing people in by going most popular most be- mm. best value for money and again yeah. just um you'll see on A lot of subscription websites where it's got like a banner over the middle option, which is, you know, they use the Goldilocks effect of cheap one, really expensive one, one in the middle. That's the one they really want to sell you. And it'll say best value or it'll say most popular. And it's just them nudging you again towards buy this one.
0: Yeah. So there's I've heard some really good examples of this, like on um, menus at restaurants, if they say most popular, the sales go up by 30 percent on that Mm. dish. And you're like, from doing nothing, just saying most popular. And it's probably one that has the best markup for them, right? Or they'll just make the most of it and whatever. And same with, like, sizes of coffee or sizes of popcorn. It's like, actually, the middle is normally a bit of a decoy. That there's no point getting the middle. And actually, then most people will be like, oh, it's only 10p more to get a large. I'll just get a large. And then you find the majority of people get a large instead of a medium.
1: And And that's why we're all obese. Yeah, don't finish the large either.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, was there another one I was thinking of with that? No, I think that was it. Okay, do you have one more?
1: Yeah, and this is one of my favourite ones, and this is more of like a a life one. Um, that I think it's just a really good good thing to to understand. Um, and it's double barreled. So, so first nice. one it's the primacy effect and the peak end rule. So the primacy effect is where people will generally remember the first piece of information more clearly and give more weight to that piece of information than everything else that you tell them afterwards. But it also works with, let's say you're in a job interview or you're going for a job interview. The first candidate that gets seen will be remembered better. They'll probably be remembered more fondly they'll they'll have more weight added to what they've told the interviewers than the rest not and that's like a generalization but it, it is true the first person the first piece of information our brain will store that so if you're ever going for a job interview or you're ever presenting stick your hand up and say i'll go first or ask ask when the first available interview slot is and take that one there was a study done on on a it was a judge and i believe it was in south america um and they looked at the you know the convictions throughout the day of the judge who was seeing you know person after person after person the people who were seen first thing in the morning or after lunch got either got off or got lighter sentences than the ones that were seen late morning or late afternoon because the judge would get hungry and get tired So the people who were seen earliest were, you know, judged more favourably. And then again, it was that. So that's the first thing in the morning. But then after lunch, when the judges had a rest and something to eat and they looked at this, I can't remember what the the duration was, but it wasn't like one day. It was over months and the pattern was so clear. So, I mean, hopefully you won't find yourself in that situation.
0: So, guys, when you're... (laughs) About yeah. to go to jail. Just make sure you try and get the first slot of the day.
1: But that's what um, I would always do with interviews. Is I would say they'd say, "Oh, when can you interview?" And I'd say, "When's the first slot?" And they would tell also, me and will take that one,
0: right? If someone said to me, "Yeah, when's the first slot?" I'd be like, "All oh, right, they're they they want this. They yeah. they want to get in there first.
1: Oh, so I and, think and it's it like worked.
0: Double whammy, good.
1: Okay, we're Um, who wants to go first? Me. Okay, confident. Yeah, but see,
0: I always did that because I like to get out of the way.
1: And but I'm and like, yes, probably I'll go first. Were... Me,
0: please. And nobody else wants to go first. So because
1: no. No. they want people are like, oh, I want to see what they do before. And then they try and anchor themselves off what you do. And but in that situation, you will be re- your presentation will be remembered most clearly by everybody in the room. And people will also remember that you went first. So you win on both counts. Um the other thing that I want to add to this is the peak end rule which is that a person's overall impression of a experience or situation can be influenced um, by the last, like the very end of it, basically the last 30 seconds to kind of five minutes. You can completely, not completely, but, uh, you know, overtly change how much a person enjoyed an experience just by ending it well. So, um, studied by i believe it was kahneman um on uh have oh, forgotten the name of the procedure colonoscopy ch- yeah yeah so colonoscopy. i've, I've written patients. down
0: here rectal exam but yeah
1: okay. yeah so uh they had two groups first group um were asked to rate their you know rate the pain or the discomfort of a rectal exam during and then rate the overall experience afterwards. The second group had the exact same exam, but then the doctor was told to leave the probe in for an extra, I think it's an extra couple of minutes, but not to move it around. So just minimize discomfort, just leave it there. And then they rated their pain and discomfort and then overall experience. And the second group, even though they had their exam extended, so it was longer, rated the overall experience much higher because the end of it wasn't as painful as the rest of it. So that influenced the entire experience just by making that a little bit, not even pleasant, just less unpleasant. Yes. So again, when, you know, I'll say doing presentation or anything, something like that, because that's my world now, end it well, positively, strongly with a joke, something that makes people enjoy it, or go away thinking, oh, that's really interesting. And they'll think of the entire thing much more favorably. They'll have a stronger positive emotion towards it. Let's say you're coaching somebody, just make sure the end of your call or your PT session or whatever is enjoyable. Even if, if you're, you know, training somebody in person and they're doing all the stuff that they need to do, and maybe they don't love exercise. Give them something fun that they enjoy for the last five minutes and just make that experience enjoyable. And they'll remember the whole session as being more enjoyable and that will keep them coming back. And it's such a simple, these are two such simple things. Just go first, make the end enjoyable and it completely changes the experience for people.
0: Love that. And I think if you're thinking of this sort of online coaching wise as well, even if someone's coming to I don't know cancel their membership remember so many people like I get so many return people and actually if you leave it with a nice nice experience and a lot of the time people find it very awkward to leave or they're like yeah fine I'll cancel your diary I don't know like there's just like not a nice leaving process whereas I'm always like remember you are always welcome here I'm so proud of everything you've done hope you still listen to the podcast blah 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 like message me anytime I've cancelled that for you done right and then, then the, not only is the door open for them to come back, but they're like, oh, yeah, like, I remember how much, you know, like, I really liked him or I really liked that experience or I feel like we've left it on good terms and that was a really nice way of leaving our coaching sessions or whatever it is. So I think, yeah, applying those in those situations will be very useful. Um, that was absolutely excellent. I freaking loved it. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you. This is... You know, you know I love talking about this sort of thing and, and um, I know you've been studying it as well so it's cool to you know, just bounce some ideas across from each other.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll come up with three more and do another one. We'll do a part two.
1: Uh, yeah, love it.
0: Okay, thanks so much. Bye!